to the Skeptic Wire. Episode of the Skeptic Wire for the 28th of August 2013. That means it's the 125th, actually the 125th exit. Exit? Episode. He said that because he's looking at me and I'm from New Jersey, so he thinks number exit must be. Yeah, there was something about New Jersey in the in the paper this week. I can't. Oh, that's right. Atheist. Yes. <laughs> David Silverman getting his. Uh... Finally, getting his atheist license, license plate. plate. Yeah, it's 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 really weird that you mean atheist. Atheist. Yeah, it's weird that one New Jersey had already done the atheist and thought it was fine, but two that New Jersey is less open to the idea of an atheist license than Texas. <laughs> yeah. Well, all it has to have is one schmuck in the DMV. Who oh, yeah. is offended by it to say, well, I'm going to turn this off and say no. Yeah. yeah oh, exactly. gee, sounds like our city council. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of, sounds like our politicians, but. Uh, so, how's everybody's week's spins? Well, I I have to make a formal apology. Um, I am the one who choreographed Miley Cyrus's dance with the whole twerking thing, so mea culpa, my bad. That was how Mia my week Culpa. went. Yeah, isn't she an actress? I think so. She did that movie with that other guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with the thing. Yeah. With the thing and that real uh, interesting plot yeah. twist. Yeah, yeah. 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 Cool. I can't talk about my week. No. They might be following me. They might be following the giant ants? I don't know. Them? Them. My aunt the Barbara government. is following you? <laughs> Actually, you, you call you call your aunt Barbara they. <laughs> you said an ant was following her. Ant, a giant ant, not aunt. You say ant, I say aunt. No, well, actually, I say aunt, and I am correct. <laughs> what? Telling me to move on. <laughs> So, oh yeah, school started this week. Yay. Not that school ever ended for me. Yay. Moving on! <laughs> Not that he's bitter. <laughs> I need a break. So, what we got What we got for birthday? What do we got? What do we got for birthday? What do we got? What do we got? What do we got for birthday? B-I-R-T-H-D-A-Y. <laughs> birthday! <laughs> Come on. I'm just letting him just peter himself out. I'm waiting for you to go. Okay. Well, unfortunately, Gary, this week we have someone who is dead. Okay. God damn it. That's your first clue. Okay. That should help a lot. Um, Since 1990. No, not not too long. So, Ronald Reagan. No. Okay. This person was born in 1903. (laughs) Never mind. I feel like... Right in the middle of his thing, wasn't it? No. 86. 88 was when he left office. Okay, Okay, sorry. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) 
<laughs> Zombie Ray- Ronald Reagan finishes out his term. <laughs> it's ter- well, effectively, it's, yeah. actually, it's actually not far from the truth. So. Yeah, he had he had psychics well, come in. I like jump jelly beans, brains. Jelly beans. You mean, yeah, exactly. I can't do Reagan. Okay, go ahead. Well, this person also cannot do a Ronald Reagan impersonation, as far as I know, because they're dead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Overlooking that, they probably couldn't. Okay. Well, let me tell you, there was this guy back in 1980. He did this great Ronald Reagan impression, but now he's dead. <laughs> I have oh, no. no idea where that came from. Well, this person came from Austria, so probably with the whole accent thing, probably would have been a problem doing a Ronald Reagan accent. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's career. No, no, that, and no, that died in 1986. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this person was a child psychologist and um, pretty famous for... Dr. Seuss? No. Oh, he was in the Austrian one. Uh, Dr. Moose. <laughs> I don't know. Your turn, Gary. Dr. Deuce. Dr. No. Foosball. <laughs> uh, he adhered to a lot of the Freudian psychoanalysis kind of ideas and after about a year or so in some concentration camps in the 1930s he emigrated to the United States and um, became a fairly well-known child psychologist and one of the things he did was he was the administrator director for the Sonia Shankman Orthogenic School in Chicago. Uh, Mr. Orthogenic? No. Mr. Shankman? (laughs) No. Mr. Manshank? Do you really think I would have given you <laughs> a clue like that if it led you directly to whoever it was? It could be a double bluff. Well, the reason why I bring this person up as a skeptical birthday is because um, he is one of the people in the you know 60s and 70s who adhered closely to and was a loud advocate for the refrigerator mother theory of autism. <laughs> okay. Just right. stick your I've, mom in the refrigerator yeah. <laughs> and be done I, with it. For, yeah. First, I've I've never never heard of that, and so I'm afraid I probably don't know who this person is. Okay. So the idea of a refrigerator mother theory of autism. <laughs> no, seriously, Just that's what it's called. Just be cold. Yes, it's uh, that autistic oh, behaviors yeah, yeah, stem yeah. from the emotional fragility uh, frigidity, sorry, of the children's mothers. So because the mother is. Un- unemotionally available to the child, the child shuts off and, you know, doesn't engage with people in an emotional way and, you know, shuts themselves off from the world. And the reason why he came to this conclusion is the year he spent in the concentration camp, everybody, because of the brutal behavior people were given in those situations, people emotionally shut themselves off, stopped engaging, didn't look at the guards in the eye and you know, the stereotypical yeah, autism, yeah. you know, yeah. they don't look people in the eye. But that's not autism, unfortunately. No. I'm not saying I agree with him. I'm just yeah. saying this is what he yeah, thought. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it has okay. all the symptoms of. Uh, so it was his first name Carl? No. Frederick? No. Sven? That's Swedish. <laughs> I think. Austria, Maybe. Sweden. Yeah, same difference. <laughs> I'm an anthropologist, not a geographer. <laughs> well, I'm guessing you guys aren't going to get it, and that's okay. Uh, his name was Bruno Bettelheim. I have heard of Bettelheim. Huh. So Didn't we, know anything about him, but I know the name. 
Yeah, got so one the, up on me. The, the idea the of he, he came to the United States and became this very well-known child psychologist, um, he was very respected during his day. I said he, he had this uh, school for emotionally disturbed children that was at the University of Chicago. Well, apparently... Right, right next to Xavier's school for gifted. <laughs> for gifted children. Maybe. Um, apparently, um, after his death in 1990 from suicide... A lot came out that he was incredibly brutal to people. He would have these flashes of anger at um, kids in that that school for um, disturbed children, <laughs> which which is exactly oh, yeah, what which they is made. exactly going to help them. That's that's the perfect. Yes. Of course, it does make sense because of his background. Oh. Having gone he was accused of plagiarism. He was accused uh. of. Um, basically pretending he had better results than he did, like saying that he cured people of autism or other emotional problems yeah. by basically kind of fudging his diagnoses, saying, yeah, sure, they have autism, and now look, three years later, I cured them of that. Uh, or, or, yeah, it's almost or like gay basically, therapy. Uh, he would... Anti-gay therapy, whatever. Gay yeah, he, he would... Um, basically, he decided that he wanted to only admit children who are kind of the light end of emotionally disturbed. Right. So, so, so it's people who can who can learn or grow out of it. Yeah. So if it was really seriously emotionally disturbed, he didn't even admit them in the first place. So it was kind of <laughs> skewing his results that way. So so it wasn't... <laughs> so it was this place for not disturbed children, but mildly disturbed children. Yeah. Some of the critics of him have said that um, a lot of these kids just... He would label them as autistic or, you know, schizophrenic or something, and they couldn't see that. All they saw was maybe a rambunctious American kid. That's it. So kind of some weirdness there. And the interesting thing is he was a professor in psychology. He's, he's headed this whole school for disturbed children. His only degree was in philosophy. He took some psychology courses because he was also kind of like an art history. What is it about philosophers major? that think that they know everything? Because <laughs> they they get into like intelligent design is effectively philosophy. Proof of God is a totally ph- philosophical argument. It's because, well, this is my own personal biases coming in, but I th- I think if you spend so much time thinking about how people think and what knowledge and what right or wrong is, you probably automatically assume that you know what is right because you have thought through the processes so you can make conclusions and pass on that knowledge because you're a wise learned philosopher and that sort of thing okay let's just go with that yeah so bruno (laughs) bettelheim um not a great scientist because it seems like he fudged some of his information and his idea of autism as being all nurture and not nature has been pretty much discredited. It's pretty much been shown, especially nowadays, that it's very genetic, maybe a little bit of epigenetic, but you know, a lot of physical causes, and it's pre-birth causes, not you know, year zero up until year five kind of Freudian kind of stuff. Besides the fact that Freudian kind of stuff is discredited on its own. Yeah. Um, he died in 1990 um, because basically his Second wife had passed away very recently. He had a stroke and whatever, and he was battling depression at the time and decided to put a plastic bag over his head. Oh, the same as um, the aunt from... Um... Aunt to you. 
Wizard of Oz. That's what she did, I believe. I believe that's how she killed herself. Wait, in I don't remember wiz- that yeah. being in the movie. <laughs> of Oz. No, in real life, oh. the actress. <laughs> Like, wow, that totally changes the entire plot. I know. Especially the whole syncing up with Dark Side of the Moon thing. (laughs) Okay, so. One of those weird, trippy things, you know. Like Poltergeist? Yeah. And, or, uh, the the other one with the spinny around head and pea soup. Exorcist. Yes. Weird things happen. Statistically, not weird. No, not so much. <laughs> cool. We're going to try a, a new segment today. Donna, I think, is going to start us off. We're going to call it um, Whack-A-Meme. about memes and how they keep popping up, say, on Facebook and, generally speaking, um, are wrong. Quick little news bits that have been going around in the the Facebook universe and the Twitterverse and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. So, uh... Kick it off, Donna! Yeah! Kick it old school! (laughs) Shut up, Gary. (laughs) Quit trying to be straight. It's not working, okay? <laughs> Yo, I wasn't trying to be street. I was trying to be retro. Cat mama. <laughs> okay. So, this week in me- Whack a Meme, we have the story of Billy Ray Cyrus. Billy Ray Cyrus wow. has recently made the news because apparently the devil and David Lynch have destroyed his family. <laughs> and obviously infected his daughter. Right. and that's the- Wait, infected the right word? Whatever. Influenced? No, it's uh, to be possessed. Possessed. I like that. Basically, what he says is that if he had not gotten the part in Mulholland Drive, which landed him a part on a medical drama called Doc, where Miley first honed her acting skills, she wouldn't be set on the path that she is right now, twerking in that really bad outfit it's... that's gone across Facebook. <laughs> so... It's interesting, the chain of events that he made up in his mind. The idea, I mean, the whole uh, Hannah Montana, Miley Cyrus thing. Yeah, raising raising her in the public eye. I mean, okay, a lot of young stars or starlets have a habit of blowing up very early because they get exposed to too much exposure and all that. But the whole Hannah Montana, Miley Cyrus Mm -hmm. thing was pretty mundane. It's just after that that... This, well, she basically, this young woman has decided she's going to try to shock the world, and this is, is this trying. is my theory on it. She got away from her father. She got laid, obviously, because I mean, come on, she's dating, engaged, whatever, to Liam Hemsworth. And, I don't know who he is. Thor. Oh, really? Or Thor, thought, or Thor's brother? No, Thor's brother. Okay, because <laughs> I thought Thor was pretty old. No, in real life. <laughs> The actor who plays Thor is Chris oh. Hemsworth. His brother Liam, ah. she is engaged to. So okay. she got away from her father. <laughs> she got laid. And guess what? She's out there sewing some oats, and she's basically saying, fuck you, to everybody who says that she's got to be this nice, responsible, 
wholesome image because, you know, oh, my God, my seven-year-old still watches Hannah Montana. <laughs> didn't, didn't she sign her soul away to Disney, though? That could probably – maybe maybe he's no, right. I think, she's, I think that she is – she has gotten – Away she, from, yeah, she, she's grown up and she doesn't know how to handle it quite right. yet. She she didn't really get to be the rebellious teen during her teenage years, so she's doing that now. She's right. 19. And she's doing the exact same Bloody. thing that Madonna did when she came out in the wedding dress and writhed on the floor in the VMAs in 1984 doing Like a Virgin. She's doing the exact same thing that Britney Spears did when she came out with the snake. She's doing the exact same thing that followed on in 2003 with the Britney, Madonna, Christina Aguilera kiss that went on forever and was everywhere. Okay? We got it. You're trying to expose yourself. You're trying to go, hey... I'm not just a pretty face. I'm not just pretty. I'm not just innocent and everything. Look at me, bitch. Get over it. You're done. <laughs> and if you guys want to continue on, I will let you. I don't think we can add to that rant. No. Not really. <clears throat> oh, and the other thing that happened this week is apparently Neil Armstrong died again. again. Right. No, he didn't. <laughs> I mean, he's still dead. Right. He didn't resurrect, come back, eat some brains, and then go back to... Zombie right. Neil Armstrong yeah. walking basically along with zombie I, Ronald Reagan. What I saw was that <laughs> somebody had basically posted a memorial tribute saying, oh my God, I can't believe it's a year, uh, Neil Armstrong, and everybody's like, oh my God, Neil know. Armstrong's dead? <laughs> <laughs> so what, was, was, these... was he just on Oprah? <laughs> you could hear the collective size of Facebook going, oh my God! <laughs> Well, that kind of reminds me of one of the other memes that have gone around Facebook this week, the whole idea that uh, Mars and the moon in August are going to be the same size in the sky. Yeah, no, it's not. Where it started out with the idea, uh, Phil played as a good takedown of it, the idea that if you look through a telescope with a certain zoom percentage. 75 times. Times, whatever. um, I got the whole percentage times thing wrong last week as well from what I remember. But if you look through a telescope, the Mars would look as big as mo- the moon with, would with your naked eye. But that distinction got lost in someone creating a meme about it, and right. all they're saying is, oh, look, Mars is going to be the same side as, as the moon when you look out in the sky in August. No. Yeah, and if if Mars ever is the same size as the moon in the sky, that means something has gone horribly awry with our solar system, and you might want to start... Uh, well, it'll probably be too late by then. I believe the phrase <laughs> you're looking for is, it's coming right at us! Probably. Yes. It might be Nibiru. Nibiru. Nibiru? Planet X. Okay, sure. But it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we got Neil Armstrong. No. Mars? No. Miley Cyrus? Or actually, uh, Billy Ray Cyrus? No. Um, the thing that washed up on the beach in Spain is not a sea monster. It's a shark. It's a shark. Is it, or is it shark. that long fish thingy that yeah. they were talking Yeah. It's about four meters long, and it was slightly decayed, and there were bits of it that weren't connected to the rest of it, which they assumed was the head, but was more, more the front, I think it's the pectoral fins they were talking about, yeah. that just kind of detached off, and they thought, oh, that must be a horned head or something. Well, it's it's the same thing as there was a... There was a mangled corpse on a gun range in Houston or something, and people thought, oh, well, it's got weird teeth and it looks weird decayed, so it must be a chupacabra. Right. People who don't know what they're looking at making decisions (laughs) about something they know not what of. 
See, last week with the UFO video that we went on for 20 minutes on. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, And then there's... You posted something about uh, a tinfoil hat for a cell phone. Well, that was the the joke about it, but apparently it's some kind of metal weave sleeve thing that's among other technologies you can buy to avoid being seen on the grid. Yeah, which makes no sense. The, the, The problem with blocking radio waves to and from your phone is it stops being a phone (laughs) and only is then a PDA. Now, here's an interesting thing. Rather than spend 20, let's say 5 to $150 for a Faraday cage, well, you can make one, first of all, from tinfoil or whatever, but um, if you turn off your wi-fi and then put it in airplane mode it does the exact same thing and they can still play angry birds that's if you trust the man oh, that's true then okay. you can just turn if it you off. believe it because the 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 thing you were saying about well if you put it in here it just becomes like a pda well no because it is a you know half inch thick thick material that is surrounding this thing that you velcro close you can't see it you can't see what's inside <laughs> so, so it's o- a brick yeah so it's a it's a brick and it's then paperweight you can't know that it's working or not because the only way to know if you're getting a signal or not is to open it up and look, which would allow the radio signals in. Right. <laughs> so, that I mean, this is sense. one of those things that has been marketed with like a Kickstarter or whatever. No one's actually tested it to prove that it actually works. There's yeah. a big difference between kickstarting a film or, um, you know, you know, music. Send the Skeptic Wire podcast team to the next convention, whatever. Ooh. That's... Oh, I like that Kickstarter idea. <laughs> yeah, like you guys ever have any time off. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a big difference between that and, oh, I have this new technology, I want you all to fund it. There's a big difference between, well, I designed this funny-looking iPhone case that looks like a TARDIS. Well, it just looks like something It's not a new technology. This is supposed to be a metal weave kind of isolate your cell phone signals kind of thing. Well, no one's proved that it actually works. Yeah, so, but here, here's something for, for all of you, uh, in case you didn't know. Um, all the uh, smartphones now, actually, I think it's, I, it may be forced to be implemented in the next couple of years. Uh, the E911 are going to be implemented, and that is uh, going to be using uh, assisted GPS, which is what I'm working on. And it basically, so that in times of emergency, if a building falls on you, they can triangulate to your right. to your location. So that um, kind of old stereotypical 911 call, can you give me your location thing? They don't have to. They ping your cell phone exactly. and they know exactly where you are. Precisely. So if you're paranoid, um, get one of those old phones if they still work on the networks. <laughs> Speaking of paranoid, let's talk about Russia. Well, it appears that Russia is a, has allowed the flying spaghetti monster to be formally represented, I guess. No, nope. nope. uh, just the opposite, in fact. <laughs> what you're thinking about is Texas Tech, my alma mater, that is allowing the, or actually a guy from Texas Tech. Right. A right. guy from Texas Tech, Tech went and got his license photo and was allowed to colander. wear... What's happening in Russia is uh, there was a group of Pastafarians who who were doing kind of a street protest march kind of thing with kind of strainers on their head and the spaghetti monster banner or whatever. And the Russian police called out the riot police to break up this little uh, 
get together. Well, they probably thought they were gay. The, well, that's part of the thing they were kind of protesting the whole anti-gay, anti-pussy riot kind of mentality of the Russian government that has been sticking so hard with the, I think it's the Orthodox, Russian Orthodox Church or something like yeah. that. Uh, but there's also the, the problem that I think Russia has a law that says you are not allowed to ridicule or otherwise make make uh, Christians feel bad. Def- yeah. yeah, defamation of religion. You're not allowed to do that. Blasphemy laws. Yep. And I thought Russia was so free. Yeah. Well, really? We thought Whatever they were gave you that idea? <laughs> <laughs> My sarcasm. Uh-huh. They were progressive there for a while. They had like a... Uh, a leader who refused to give up power and would walk yeah. around with his shirt off a lot. I mean, that's freedom right there. Oh, I thought you were talking about Boris Yeltsin and his freedom to drink. I don't think <laughs> Boris Yeltsin went around with his shirt off. No, but Putin Oh, God, did. please don't. I, I can't handle that Maybe image. Maybe Gorbachev did. No, Putin. Putin. I know. I know. Putin. Let's talk about a church in North Texas which is trying to destroy the world. Yay! Yay! Yay, Texas! Well, I think it's more they're only destroying themselves. And their community. Well, kind of. Uh, As of this recording, thereabouts, in North Texas, there have been about 20 cases of measles popping up um, in the last, I guess, few months or this year. In one community or one area? In North Texas in general. That's a pretty big area, though. In Tarrant County are 15 of those cases. Okay, see, that... (laughs) And eight of, at least eight of those 15 cases are all from one church, the Eagle Mountain International Church, which happens to be part of the Kenneth Copeland Ministries complex, whatever you want to call it. I assume there are multiple megachurches that are all kind of associated. It's called Eagle Style Kung Fu Church, what? Eagle Mountain International Church. (laughs) So uh, Kenneth Copeland um, and his wife Gloria um, have their own kind of online webcast show called Believer's Voice of Victory. And uh, for many, many, (laughs) many months and years, whatever you want to call it, um, as part of their ministry, whatever, they will talk about how, um, like uh, a couple years ago, I think, when Copeland's grand child got born um he was very alarmed at the number of vaccines that the child was given and oh my god exactly that's probably exactly what he said um and he he according to some sources he said that the um, the immunization that kids were given nowadays was downright criminal so pretty much um they've been they, they'll talk up the mmr uh vaccines cause autism thing they do a lot of the um well um too many vaccines are not good for young children so you should wait until they're older the, the, the too too, yeah, many, too, too soon many too soon kind too of stuff. many too soon green your vaccines exactly and they combine this with the idea the full-on evangelical belief of faith healing that if you just believe enough, you won't get sick, because it's only the bad people that get sick, that sort of thing. Of course it is. <laughs> well, apparently they got a shit ton of bad people in yes. their church. So an interesting thing is now that basically they are ground zero for the measles epidemic in, I don't know if it's been called an epidemic, but the measles outbreak. Outbreak. In well, Well, considering that measles has been all but eliminated in our country, 20 cases, um... Let's see. It, I, I, basically, I don't know what time frame that 20 cases is, but I assume it's since the beginning of the year. 
Um, this many cases in a disease that is easily preventable with vaccines is as close to an epidemic as we really should get. Um, and a lot of it, it has to deal with all this vaccine denier stuff. So yeah, well, it, it's, it's really it's but it's what's the word avoidable. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so now that the church has been shown to be this epicenter of this outbreak, um, it turns out that they decided to backpedal just a little bit. You've got, um, I think, uh, Kenneth Copeland's daughter, Terry Copeland, has been giving a couple of sermons lately about, you know, well, you know, just remember, in the Old Testament, it was the preachers who were telling you how to clean and how to disinfect yourself. So it's okay to go have medicine. And, oh, look, we're having this vaccine clinic now. I gotta admire her for that. Yeah, despite the fact that nowhere in the Old Testament does it ever say the word disinfect. Well, no. There's like, pigs are unclean, or shellfish is unclean. Yeah, but there's the washing of the feet. That's, but that's not, (laughs) if you, if you don't wash your hands before you play with your pig. Right. It doesn't doesn't say anything about uh, tiny little demons living on, on surfaces and then washing them off before you handle food. So it has a lot to do with someone's interpretation of the Bible and then just saying what they believe. And of course the, the parishioner, the members of their church just saying, okay, sure. Whatever you say. Well, this is what bothers me in all of this. If you go to their website, they've got a, they've got a a pop-up that basically says, Oh, you want to know more about our recent health scare? Blah, 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 blah. You're talking about www.kcm.org. No, I'm talking about www.emic.org. Emic? Who's... Eagle Mountain International oh. Church. Well, there's also kcm.org, which is Kenneth Copeland Ministries. Okay. So before we get to the real Web of Trust, you can go rate those with your Web of Trust tool if you want to. <laughs> and there's a quote that's from the Executive Offices of the Kenneth Copeland Mystery... Ministries. Ministries. Ah, <laughs> oh, God, it was a Freudian slip there. <laughs> August 21st, 2013. Kenneth Copeland Ministries' position regarding dealing with any medical condition involving yourself or someone in your family is to first seek the wisdom of God, his word, and then appropriate medical attention from a professional that you know and trust. No. Go see a doctor. (laughs) Yeah, because what if the voice inside your head tells you that you're fine? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I I got this big lump growing out the side of my neck. It's... It'll go, it'll go away with a cold compress. <laughs> yeah. This is the kind Praying. of case where um, a church will basically find whatever quote they can to support whatever um, idea they've come up with next. So this is the kind of thing where the, someone might say, oh, crap, we're getting measles or there's a tax problem or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then they'll bring out the old canard of, you know, oh, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and, and yeah. interpret that into saying, yeah, go to the doctor, it'll be fine, plus do the faith healing. Right. Just so and they don't give get us 10%. Right, because yeah. they follow this up with apply wisdom and discernment in carrying out their recommendations for treatment. Well, if you're an so, idiot. So you don't necessarily have to listen to your doctor <laughs> or a second, third, fourth, eighth opinion. This would include vaccinations, immunizations, surgeries, prescriptions, and any other medical procedures. By faith, we are standing on the word of God. When standing for the healing, there are natural steps as well as spiritual steps to take. We encourage you to watch two recent services relating to this event and take both the spiritual and natural steps given. So at the end of this, they say take both. 
<laughs> right. It's take they, the take the red pill and the blue pill. <laughs> That'll mess you up. <laughs> that's that's where schizophrenia comes from. You see reality, but then you see a veneer of greenish tinged fakery. Can it be purple since it's red and blue? That make purple. Yeah, but that's usually when uh, the guy offering the pills slaps you upside the head because you're being an idiot. Ah, okay. Hi, how you Hi. doing, Greg? <laughs> I, I kind of got lost in that conversation uh, because I was preparing to say, okay, so we've got this Texas mega church talking about how vaccines are bad, vaccines you know, will give you vac- autism, too much too soon, all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if they got their information from this week's Web of Trust candidate. What is this week's... What? No. Oh, dude, it should be Web, Web of Shite or Website. We've got a twofer this week. Ooh! So actually, uh, uh. I think I think we I think we have a quad because we got the Kenneth. You have to yeah. pay extra for that. Copeland. So yeah, there's KCM.org, <laughs> which is Kenneth Copeland Ministries, and also the emic.org. Emic.org, which is the emic sounds like um, so, sounds like one of those the, Eagle the Mountain guys, International the Church guys from the Time Machine. Yeah. Oh my God, it's the emics. <laughs> we also have another acronym in there somewhere, which is the National Vaccine Information Center. NBIC.org. And their their byline at the top is your health, your family, your choice. Ah. Know the risks for your child. You know, the CDC launches media campaign to increase your vaccine use. You know, <laughs> experts say vaccine marketing misrepresents the facts. All this kind of questioning the science, too much too soon, you know, just a lot. They've gone on from the, oh, vaccine gives you autism, to the, well, just know your risks, consult your doctor, and, and be careful. Right, which, kind of which, of course, consult your doctor is a very good thing, because as we know, some people do have adverse reaction, known adverse reactions to vaccines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My daughter. My daughter. <laughs> <laughs> but, but at the same time, any other vaccine that she has been able to receive... She has received. So So there. Yeah. Their founder (laughs) is Barbara Lowe Fisher. um, Well, co-founder. And she has been very outspoken on anti-vaccines and that kind of stuff. Lowe Fisher? L-O-E. So that's her middle name. Yes. Or is it a hyphen? It's the middle name. There is no hyphen. There is a hyphen in co-founder. It could be her maiden name. A lot of people have been doing that lately. Hmm. Take their... Well, we're just reading into it. I just it just sounded, it's an odd low fisher, as I know. So right now, the N- nvic.org has a nice bright red rating, which is good. Yay! Let's keep it that way. Put it on there. Show how bad they are for children and all that. There's another website out there that is kind of similar, and they only have an orange rating. So I think they need also some targeted web shittery going web on. Shittery. Which what is the words we make up. <laughs> www I don't know why I have to say that but I am so it's vaccinationinformationnetwork.com they have a lot of the same kind of stuff information vaccines, network yes okay vaccines get the full story vaccination deception uh, oh where's the best one that I saw yeah, I hate uh, that bait and switch for the vaccines what's really in your vaccines or how vaccines harm child brain development or homeopathic cease therapy Dr. Tina Smith MD 
Uh-huh. So, yeah, a lot of, you know, crappy stuff of bad, bad science, and they want to sell you their books. They have ads everywhere, um, and um, they are dangerous to children. Yes, they are. So that is this week's website or webshite recommendation. Um, pretty much Excellent. we just hit webshite. <laughs> yes. Yeah, a lot, lot of webshite. Double dose oh of webshite. Oh, God, this website is horrible looking. <laughs> yep. Pop-ups are just hard to read. Just pink and icky and ugly. Yeah. Well, sorry, I just... If you... If you're going to spend money to do a, a, a nice website, fucking do a nice website! <laughs> we don't spend any money to do our website, and it looks wonderful. <laughs> That's right. We don't really have a website. We have a blog. We have the blog or our Facebook page. Our Facebook. Yeah, exactly. They look fine. Yeah, we'll let somebody else take care of that. But these people are pretty unscientific. Perhaps they didn't read the paper. The papers, the scientific papers, the papers on science that they could read to understand what the vaccines are doing and how yes, they work. Yes, but why would they want to do that? Or if they did read to them, comprehend. they read them in the wrong way. Yeah. So is there a right way to read a scientific there, paper? There's not just one way, but... Is someone recommending a good way to read a paper? Yes, the website Violent Metaphors, Thoughts from the Intersection of Science, Pseudoscience, and Conflict has a nice little, well, I, it's not little, it's actually quite wordy, a blog post about how to read and understand a scientific paper, a guide for non-scientists. Which is the important thing. Yeah. Because, you know, I had to read some papers when I was in college doing psychology or whatever. Those skills have kind we'll of... We'll get to psychology. ...fallen by the wayside <laughs> over the last <clears throat> year since I've been in college. So the idea of, well, a refresher on what are the main points to hit if you don't know a lot about science, but you want to do at least a little bit more in-depth than, say, whoever the style editor is who's decided to write the scientific news article on paper XYZ and is getting it all wrong. Right. So since you're listening to this podcast... It uh, obviously, you you enjoy science, or at least snark, or maybe people getting <laughs> the science wrong. Uh, but we're trying. <laughs> but we don't mean to. We, we, we are not purposely misinterpreting anything. Um, so if you find anything, let us know because we'll we'll, yeah, we'll correct if, it. Yeah. If 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 you have a complaint <laughs> about ours, oh, about our our science and our interpretation of it. Yes. Narrow down to just interpretation of our science. There's plenty other stuff to complain about. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> You know, and like I said, I mean, prime example was the the other day when uh, Greg was all like, oh, yeah, cows can't give birth by themselves. We've got to have vets in there. And the guy emailed us and went, no, it's not how it works. Okay. And we corrected ourselves. We were like, thank you very much. I made the mistake much. of trusting Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs. I was wrong. See, that was your yeah, mistake. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, yeah, television, you get what you pay for. Oh, wait, that's cable, isn't it? Yeah. You're not paying very much for it. The writer of Violent Metaphors, uh, Jennifer Raff, has written up a nice, fairly concise guide on what you need to do to 
it's not just reading the paper, but comprehending and understanding what they're talking about in the paper. Because obviously you can once over it or you could just read the abstract, which if you don't have access such as I do to to, to all the papers through a university, university. you're either going to have to pay for it somehow or sign up for a service. Or, or just email Gary at Gary. <laughs> Say, hey, dude, I need this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> kind of like I do. <laughs> Everyone's well, I will email Gary and go, yeah. I want the original. So the, the, the thing is that just reading the abstract, it gives you a okay overview of what the author thinks the point of the paper is. But you, if you don't read the paper, you don't get any in-depth look into how they came to those conclusions, which, as we've talked about in the past, oftentimes the author may have a preconceived notion. Benjamin Wakefield? Exactly. And change the, the point of the data or misinterpret the data using uh, various methods, which we, we may get into, but maybe not this time, but certainly later. So the first thing is, she says is, begin by reading the introduction and not the abstract. So in other words, skip the abstract until the end so you can make your own decision on what they're talking about. Because the abstract is kind of this thing saying, I, I wrote this whole paper and I believe this is what I found. Now here's my evidence for it. Yeah. First you want to look at the evidence so you can have a better idea of what was done. Then you can interpret the conclusion that is, oddly enough, in the first paragraph, the abstract. Yeah. The, the next step is identify the big question. And this one I really like, because I actually didn't didn't think about this, but identifying the big question is not saying what, like the topic sentence from the paper, it's where does that paper fit in to the entire catalog of what it's trying to solve? So what is the area of the paper trying yeah. to solve? Because the, the one thing about research, as I'm learning... Uh, I like the big picture. I, I really enjoy it. And so I'm working in my on my master's on a very, very small part of the big picture. And it's annoying me because I've got, you know, a 10-page paper on something that I think is trivial, but apparently nobody else has written about. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the thing with interpreting the big question in quotes of an of a article in that, Sometimes the big question is a very small question. You know, you, sure. you, you, if you read an article and it's about medical research, the big question is probably not how do we cure cancer. The big question is does chemical X affect cancer, cancer. type Y in vitro under ultraviolet light on a Thursday? <laughs> the big question can sometimes, sometimes be very specific. Okay, this is true. Yeah. Which kind of relates to a, a number four on this list, but we'll get that in a yeah. second. Uh, the next one is summarize the background uh, in five sentences or less, which, of course, <laughs> can sometimes be exceedingly difficult. Yes. The five sentences or less, I think, is the hard part of that. Yeah. Because... But again, what you're, you are trying to summarize to get the basic idea of what the big question is, is and how does this relate to the big question. Yeah. And, and this, this kind of five-sentence thing is more how does this fit in with what we already know about the research and what, what may we not be able to test 
in this research. You know, we may be studying prison populations, but we can't experiment on prison populations, so we can't do a controlled, blinded study. That's a limitation of this, but that fits in with the rest of the research or something like that. So the move to the next one is identify the specific questions. In other words, what exactly are the authors trying to answer? And that relates to my ultraviolet light on a Thursday question. Exactly. Of, yeah. you know, what, is the data going to prove something right or something wrong? What specific yay or nay question are they asking? Yeah. And then, after you're done identifying the specific questions, identify the approach on how they're going to answer the specific questions, how the authors went about doing that. And to do that, you're going to read the methods section. Uh, and then, as she says, which is another eye-opening kind of thing, is draw the diagram for the experiment that the authors did. So it could be like one of those old web diagrams from when you were trying to diagram an essay in grade school or something. No. Where you've got the center subject in the middle, and you're connecting it with radial dots, or you're saying, well, okay, if you draw kind of a, um, what is it? the Venn diagram? Not a Venn diagram, no. but the... Um, Flowchart? No. Um, Pantomime horse. <sighs> Pantomime princess Margaret. I can't remember. The, a goose. The type of machine that has no real purpose to it. Rube Goldberg. Rube Goldberg machine-esque nature of if this happens, then that happens, then that happens, then that happens. If yeah. the mouse clicks on the lever, they are given food, which should tell me this. See, I looked <laughs> at it as going back to the old word problem, like when you're first starting in algebra, oh, yeah. and they're all like... Your dad wants to build a pool that is, you know, 10 feet by 20 feet, but he only needs, you know, 30 square, you know, 30 cube feet of area. How, you know, how deep is your pool going to be? You know, so you, the first lesson I always got was like, if you don't understand it, draw it out. Yeah. Right. Because you've got these big, long articles full of a lot of scientific jargon and if you just draw it out in a more visual picture, like Donna said, you have a better idea of visualizing, oh, what actually was done. And that's, a, that's another point that is, is touched on is any word you don't know, write down, look up, understand it. Because in scientific papers, every word counts. Yes, generally speaking. I mean, sometimes there's fluff, especially from in the masters. <laughs> but, there's filler. Is but, what but, there's, but there's also very specific terms. Like, say, for example, the word theory. Well, or even, <laughs> well, that, that, no. that one's been done, but like significant or non-significant. Right. Uh, I'm as, just, as you know, we've always had theory as what does science mean with it and what does everyday <laughs> right. mean with it. And my recommendation on that one is get a scientific dictionary, not your Oxford dictionary. Because... Right. Like you were Other, saying, otherwise you'll there's, get theory. There's, <laughs> yeah, you get theory, and which means hypothesis in the uh, regular nomenclature. Uh, then she says, uh, read the results section and then summarize it in the paragraph. And then she also says to summarize the results of each experiment, each figure, and each table. But don't worry about discerning their meaning. Just write down what they are. So you're, you're kind of you're you're building your base right now. You're really trying to condense maybe a 20-page paper into like a one or two-page summarization that you can understand a lot faster. Right. 
and this is a big one that I've, I've noticed as well, is on, on graphs, uh, look for error bars. Because generally speaking, there's a lot of statistical methods and there's a lot of unknowns. And so it gives you a good idea on <laughs> how good the data is yeah. from uh, of the results. Sometimes you can just eyeball it if the error bars are really wide and overlap but they say it's significant, you can kind of look at that and say, okay, something's weird here. Yeah. But if the error bars are very small, but they're there, and it was a study with, say, 5,000 subjects, oh, that looks numerically strong, as opposed yeah. to 10 subjects with big error bars. Yeah. And Or if they have 10 subjects with very small error bars, I mean, look at the scale. Just really pay attention. Uh, that was one of the things with Al Gore's book. Uh, Inconvenient Truth. In- I don't think it was Inconvenient Truth. It was before that. Um, it, but it, it was about global warming. And first of all, all of his sources were newspaper articles and like Time magazine. So there was no no uh, scientific magazines. No original resources. Right. No original sources right? or research. Uh, and then the other thing is he had this picture of the ozone layer. Uh, with a plane, uh, supposedly a plane was flying through the ozone, and he wanted to show how horrible the drop-off was in the ozone up there. And so he showed this graph that was high at one point, and then it drops steeply and then is low at the next point. And there was not a single <laughs> XY Water. label on that. All it, it so it could have. It's like, oh, oh, this is this is my drawing of the cliffs of Dover. <laughs> you know, he had he had no idea what it meant. So pay attention to that because that can also lead you into uh, whether the the research should be trusted or not. So do that. Um, then you can answer. Do the results answer the specific questions from the previous uh, set? And what do you think they mean? Because you haven't discussed the conclusion yet. And they do emphasize taking your time on that to kind of really think of. Well, she says. And I agree with her. You have to read the paper multiple times. It's yeah. not just a yeah. one-time read-through. It's certainly not when you're beginning. As as you get better doing this, <laughs> it should become easier, so you won't have to read it. But, but even at the stage where you just reviewed all the results, take your time to make sure you understand kind of what the graph is saying, even if it's not fully um, informed in your head. But you, you just what did they really think was the result um, what were the numbers shown? Right. Make sure you have a, a you're comfortable with that, having read just the section a couple times before you move on. Right, and then and that leads into the read the conclusion uh, or the discussion or interpretation section, uh, which will tell you what the authors think all the numbers mean, and then you can compare on what you thought meant versus what the authors and see if there's any discrepancy. It could be that you were wrong. You maybe you read it wrong. You didn't have enough information. Like, there's a lot of things I read where there's a whole bunch of statistics involved. Um, I understand the basic idea of the p-value, but I also know that there's other statistical methods that may be better. And I don't under, I don't know quite right now how to apply those and precisely what you're getting out of doing that. Let alone not knowing if you have all the – if you can apply all the tools. Sometimes you just don't know all the data. You haven't been given all the numbers, so you can't run your own statistical analysis on it, even if That's you knew true. it. That's true, especially if you're getting it from uh, a magazine, because they have to condense a 90-page thesis or dissertation into a five-page article. And unless you have access to the university archives, you're not going to get all that data. 
So, part 10, we're almost done. Uh, go back to the beginning and read the abstract. And now you have a conclusion. You have your conclusion. You know the author's conclusion. Does the abstract reflect what is represented in the paper? It might not be. We've run into that before ourselves uh, here on the show. A couple of weeks ago, I, I, I talked about it. And the last one, and she says in italics, don't neglect doing this. What do other researchers think about the paper? And this is one of my favorite things, too. Uh, in a lot of the journals, uh, that peer-reviewed journals, they'll have the original paper, and they'll have given this paper to other scientists in the field, hopefully in the field, and those other scientists will write either a support or a rebuttal, and uh, it'll be it'll be maybe a couple of columns, uh, or, sorry, a couple of paragraphs, and so they so the other scientists will write, and then the authors have the opportunity to to respond. So there can be a back and forth, and that's kind of cool. That's how science really should work to say, well, this is what I think, you know, beyond just the peer review before it gets published. Once it is out there and shown to be at least reasonably scientific, what do other people say? Because that's the basic nature of, of modern science is not, oh, yes, we all agree, it's all wonderful. The basic of modern science is, I think this, and then 20 people saying, uh, no, have you thought of this? Of, exactly. not, not in a mean way, but basically tearing down other people's research to give it its hardest test so that if it stands up, we know, yes, that's true. Exactly. And the reason that uh, I find it interesting that this came up uh, this week, and a big, huge thanks to Jennifer Raff for, for writing that, because I'm going to take this to heart, is last week, Nicholas Brown, Alan Sokol, and Harris Friedman published a paper called Complex Dynamics of Wishful Thinking. And if you recognize the name Alan Sokol... <laughs> this always makes me laugh. In 1996, he published a, st a study called Transgressing the Boundaries Towards a Transformative Hermeneutics of Quantum Gravity. And he published this paper in Social Text, which is, or was, of Postmodern Cultural Studies magazine. Now, why something about quantum gravity is in... Uh, a social studies a, magazine? Yeah, cultural studies magazine. One doesn't know. But what, what it was is he used a lot of AI to build this paper, and it was all nonsense. And he just wanted to see what kind of peer review uh, is out there and to see if he could publish. And they just let it go through. If you fill a paper entirely with jargon... Will the people who are supposed to review the article before it gets published actually catch it and say, no, this shouldn't be published? Exactly. Or do you just have this, you know, uh, boys club of everybody publishing each other's papers and I'll wash your back if you wash mine and scratching yeah, and, and stuff? and whether they even, if, if they don't understand it, whether they ask, ask about it, which apparently they don't. It's almost like an obedience to authority kind of thing. <laughs> but complex dynamics of wishful thinking is a... Rebuttal and teardown of a couple of papers printed uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s about the power of positive emotions by a person named Fredrickson uh, and Losada is the other person. 
1996, 2004, or 1999, 2004, and 2005, they put out a couple, a couple of different papers on positive thinking. And these, these papers started pushing the idea that there's a ratio of happy thoughts to bad thoughts that will give you a tipping point. And this this ratio it's not quite through the one it's two point nine zero one three. That's the name of our George Rob cover band. There we go. So if you have two point nine zero one three happy thoughts compared to negative thoughts, and that's kind of an arbitrary happy, arbitrary uh, unhappy, you will come out ahead in life or in whatever you're doing. And it's an oddly precise number because the idea that if I have 2.9012 happy thoughts to negative thoughts, then I'm not going to be able to have this positive life and this positive thinking, almost secret-esque control over the universe. Yeah. That, that's not, yeah, yeah and it, it, well, so the, the positive thing is, is psychology. And apparently, it appears Fredrickson and Lasada are good researchers, but in these particular papers, they really had little no clue on what they were talking about. Uh, the original paper was based on a certain number of business groups that were placed in a room and they were watched while they figured out some business problems. <laughs> and a psychologist in a, in a one-way mirror... Mirror? One-way... <laughs> Mirror. Well, psychologists on the other side. On the, of the other side way, of the one-way mirror. mirror. If they're in the mirror, they've got bigger problems. Yes. So they were looking through and watching them and, and taking notes and figuring out how many, what types of words they use to try and figure out these problems. Uh, first of all, these were eight-person groups-ish. That's one of the problems with the research, as uh, SoCal et al. found, is they, they claim there are eight but there could have been more, there could have been less. No one really knows. But that's another one problem of this particular study is they took this number and they apply it to any group or any person as opposed to the very specific eight business people being watched right. by psychologists. A very, very small <laughs> sample size that yeah. they're applying to the greater population. Yeah. Um, but that w wasn't the... Big problem. The big problem that SoCal et al. found is Losada specifically applied Lorentz's equations for fluid dynamics to the word use that the groups were using. And that's where this number comes from, this 2.9013. A few months ago on the show, <laughs> we described how the formulas involved in electricity and magnetism and whatever are very similar to the formulas involved in water movement and and velocities and all that kind of there, stuff. There are some there are some similarities, yeah. I don't understand how whatever the Lorenz the Lorenz equation birthing right. equation no that's Lamaze, sorry. Um <laughs> Happy whoosh, whoosh. Yes. The whole Bill Cosby routine. Yeah. Um how something of the physical sciences would apply to social sciences that way. It's not 
well defined either in any of the papers. They don't say why they chose that or why they thought it was well, a reasonable choice. Well, no, they they sort of do, and <laughs> it basically comes down to when you are under a time crunch. It's almost like being in a a fluid environment. Your emotions can get high and low. And so because your emotions and the word use is sort of fluid, you can apply the fluid dynamics of the Lorentz equations. <laughs> so they based the decision to use these statistical methods on synonyms. Yeah, yeah. Or, uh, or homonyms. No, not even yeah. homonyms. What's, what's, what's the, there's a logical fallacy that means to, you know, like the word theory, changing the, the word midstream. Uh, yeah. It appears that they, they use the fallacy of, of equivocation by changing the, the, the term of fluid. And actually, they're just applying the idea of thoughts being fluid and emotions being fluid uh, to this and then saying, oh, fluid. Oh, uh, well, we'll just use these equations. The other thing that they did is uh, Lorentz equations have, have three variables, um, and they're, they're nonlinear. Which I guess just like thoughts, they can be nonlinear. Oh dear. Uh, yeah. And so they sort of got some numbers uh, from the equations, and then drew the the target around it, and then found these variables, the numbers of the variables, to match how you would get these numbers, because they they just they discovered that. And after you run the numbers, just basically pulling numbers out of the air. Actually, they, they use the original uh, numbers that Lorenz does. From his fluid dynamics From his stuff. Fluid, fluid dynamics. And then they had to find a way to make these numbers mean something to them. <laughs> and uh, besides the linguistic thing... They, they they chose some arbitrary numbers to get a nice distinction between high-performance, medium-performance, and low-performance teams, and they just multiplied those, like, a, fa like a, a factorial, not a factorial, but some sort of... It makes me think of what we were talking about last week with the UFO video, that if you have a bad quality video and you just kind of zoom things in or zoom things out, you're going to really distort the actual information that they're... Yeah, exactly. And you're not going to have a clear picture of what's going on. So if they use these either constants or variables to kind of distort the data so that any differences would look bigger than they really are, they're really actually changing the nature of the actual numbers and the data to make it look like they want it to. It's kind of like... Yeah, that's, that's exactly what they're doing. It's like creationists saying, well, we assume there's going to be a designer out there, so what we're going to do is we're going to look for quote-unquote evidence that complies with our theory and make it fit right and well right and they're and they're multiplying by by a number that's going to it's kind of like uh u.s dollar is one dollar and then the british pound is 2.1 dollars so what's the number that you multiply to get by 2.1 right you know that so that's that fact factorial that and so that's what they did to to make these nice little distinctions between their teams the point is, they pull all of these numbers out of their asses, they, and they, they did some hand-waving. People were very excited because they used these differential equations, uh, non-linear differential equations, to psychology and came up with a number. And they never really looked at 
what what it all means because they made the data fit what they wanted and non differential equations uh nonlinear differential equations are difficult <laughs> so uh and generally speaking i think in psychology you don't get much higher than doing statistical analysis of stuff not really and the, having been a, a student of psychology, I know that all the social sciences, but especially psychology, it's very messy. You don't yeah. get a lot of very precise numbers of 2.9013. Right. You, I mean, it, it, you it, it, may reach statistical significance, have a nice p-value, but you'll have some error bars and you'll think, okay, well, I think this shows if you have a big enough population, if you're not just testing 10 college students, you might actually be able to prove something. But the idea that to have any sort of precise number in a social science, that no one caught on to that, just that assumption, that well, conceit. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a nice thing. Well, maybe they had just read... Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and uh, Marvin can you know figure out your personality problems to then ten digits. So <laughs> this is like the next step. Or they could have been reading the Foundation series, and they're like this Harry Seldon thing, you know, with psycho uh, history or whatever. Yes, it is. Yeah, But um, going back to the paper, I think it, it's free. So this is a cool thing. The the original, uh, sorry, the paper by Alan Sokol and the, the complex dynamics of wishful thinking. It's free. It's free online. Uh, I'll post a link to it. Um, it's worth reading, one, because it's quite witty, but two, because they explain what differential equations are. They have, they have a nice breakdown uh, from a single variable up to multivariable stuff. But then they also have reasons why you can use differential equations. So they really break it down. And then they explain why the the paper by Fredrickson and, and Losara um, Losada. fails. Losada, sorry. Yeah. Uh, why it fails horribly on all counts. Because they never define why they can use Lorentz's equations for this. Never. So, so everything from big picture down to the specifics of the lies, damn lies, and statistics that they right. try to use through and through is bad science. Exactly. And, and it's kind of, um, it seems like the, like I said earlier, the woo-woo creationism idea of wanting to believe in something and trying to make the data fit what you want to believe. Exactly, because intelligent design misuses information theory. And and they, they've been called out on it because it, it, you can't really apply information theory to... Uh, biology. Information theory being the idea that you can't create new information? Well, right, but but what is information? What what does that mean? In information theory, it's trying to compress as much information. So it's figuring out how to get actual data from the left to the right, for one thing. It's about... Uh, but it defines, for example, the the term entropy which is how much information can be passed on. I keep on hitting the thing. How much information can be passed on uh, with however much, like in, in certain amount of bits. So 
I've, I've talked about this before. Is it kind of like the, the redundancy of how internet traffic works? The same packet will be sent in two or three different lanes. Well, sort of. So that you don't you lose any resolution at the other side because you know something's going to get lost along the way. Yes, but it has to do with the encoding of that information. For example, um, the the letter S and the and the letter E are very common in the English language. So those letters don't have a lot of information contained in them because they're so common. Whereas the letter Z, for example, is very rare. So that can actually tell, or actually better, well, yeah, we'll just use Z or X, uh, are rare. So that can tell you a little bit more about the information being passed. For example, there aren't a lot of words that have the letter Z in them. So if say in a crossword, you come up with a Z, you know that there's a very limited number of words that'll have that. Whereas if you get an S, thousands of words, right? Yeah, keep keep working on your crossword puzzle and pencil at that point. Right. So, and that that's kind of the whole point of information theory is how much information is passed on in whatever form of data. And so they've applied, sorry, intelligent design has applied that uh, information theory to DNA, which we, you know, we've got what four four letters or whatever, but we don't really know how that all that works or how it's compressed or what it means. We know that certain strings are genes and certain strings are, are other thing, but we it's still a burgeoning uh, field. Uh, field. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, but they've misapplied that to information theory because. Biologists don't use information theory for DNA because it's a very messy thing. Yeah, the creationists use a lot of, like we were talking about earlier, word jargon and saying that words sound similar because information sounds like information. Right. We can and, and DNA is technically information. We can claim that no information is destroyed or information must be transferred in this information theory way. Right. Therefore, because the only th way that we get information in the modern day is via intelligent people creating computer programs, that must mean that some intelligent designer created all of life. Precisely. That's uh, that's the the linguistic hurdles that they go over to... You mean the post-hoc, ergo prompter-hoc <laughs> FLC that they go through? Yeah, they, they misapply the word information and change the meaning of it. And uh, then they say, okay, because of this, now we can use these equations that define what we were originally talking about towards towards proving it. And basically, it's, a, it's again, it's just a philosophical argument for their case and without any actual science. Yeah. All I have to do is prove it. Well, we don't have a lot of time to go into this next bit, but uh, there is a fun article over at evolutionnews.org, which is another web shite that you should rate, um, <laughs> a article by Casey Luskin called, Straw Man Aside, What is the Theory of Intelligent Design? Really? And really what it boils down to is um, what they are saying is that it's it's not just a negative argument against evolution, that it's not arguing for anything supernatural. We're not going to assume that we know what the designer is. And the the, the neo-Darwinists are just trying to prove that we're claiming that we know the creator and we're really... We're really <coughs> 
<laughs> studying the designer where what we're really doing is actual science because we use the scientific method just like those neo-Darwinists. So if we use oh, the scientific shit. method Again. and mm. they use the scientific method, then we both either we're both science or we're both not science. So if scientists complain that came, if scientists say that Darwinism is actually science, then we must be science too. Ergo, we are full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And I am actually amazed that you got through that without laughing. Yeah. I was laughing in my head. But it's another case where they go around saying neo-Darwinists. But the, the, the problem with this is they, it doesn't seem like they ever attack the modern version of evolution. It's, it's, it's weird to me that they want to be taken seriously, but they can never approach... What the modern theory of evolution of, 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 modern theory of evolution is? They spend half this article saying we are a scientific theory. <laughs> it is a scientific theory, but never saying, and we have X and Y evidence to disprove the genetic evidence of evolution. We have this other evidence that disproves the fossil evidence for evolution. All this, other, they don't actually deal with the actual matters of fact but they, they, and, they, they, and they talk about just the philosophy of well information is getting created via DNA so information theory blah 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 yeah because they go through and, and say what intelligent design can be uh, used for right he does it. but it's again it's a philosophy and there's no links to any papers uh, it, it, and that should always be your first clue well, that if they say they're scientific and they don't link to any papers... They have a shit ton of references at the end of their article, but I'd say half of them are William Dembski. About another 45% are William uh, Michael Behe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the rest are, you know, maybe references is... to the Kitzmiller versus Dover case that they got their ass handed the, to them on. Yeah. And they say, oh, well, just the, the judge just didn't understand what intelligent design really is. So he's this type two kind of intelligent design denier. He just doesn't get it. Right. Well, and that's what I wanted to go back, kind of to, to, to bring us back full circle about I learned how to read a science paper very differently than the way she says. Oh, okay. You know, that always start with the conclusion. Figure out what exactly they say they did. Hmm. Then go back in and read the introduction and compare the compare the two. Then read your methodology and everything else. But before you did any of that, read who they cited. Oh. Get familiar with the works that they're using to base their work on. Sure. That, so I that learned exists. it very differently than the way that Miss um, Raff. If all their citations yeah. are for Deepak Chopra, don't even bother reading. Right. The exactly. The you know. But I agree with the you know look for the words you know significant non significant all of that jazz. Grab your, your scientific dictionary, have it sitting beside you. If there's something there you don't understand, look it up. Yeah. You and, know. And, and you're right, because the, the understanding the references goes back to understanding where that where the paper you're reading fits into the pantheon of, of yeah. ideas. Uh, Are they proposing which, something brand new, or does it is it in line with all the rest of the research? Right. That have come from the years and it, before. And that's, yeah. that can be very difficult because it, like, if you're doing evolution, granted, if you're in the science mode people, uh, non-intelligent design, non-creationist, you've got a 
basic idea, but there's so much to that. So, yeah. Uh, the the Tiktaalik, for example, you know, where does that fit in? There's, like, where where do you start? Yeah. That's the thing is, is that such a huge uh, topic? Like, where do you start? Yeah, you can start with some of the the references, but then you have to figure out <laughs> which ones of those you're going to be able to read. You have yeah. to read the references of the references. Yeah. And... Right. But I like the idea of reading the conclusion first because it, it hmm. gives you that better idea of what they specifically are trying to say. It's it's the nice condensed version, the non-abstract, because in social sciences, and I don't know if you you just went through this, they tend to write the abstract first. I had professors who were adamant about you write the abstract first, and I was all like, You write the abstract, then you do your study? Well, like, you're doing your study and everything else, but write your abstract as you're working on your stuff. And so it was always one of those, there was a lot of head-twisting. Yeah, the the abstract is supposed to be the abstraction of the paper. Right. Right. (laughs) Well, I I think the idea that the author here was trying to get through on not reading the abstract or the conclusion first was you don't want to bias yourself to what the authors thought they thought. Right. You, you look at the methods and data first to say, all right, they said they tested this many people with this psychological test and they gave them shocks or a food pellet or something right. like that and then got these results. And then you say, all right, based on that, that methodology, what do I think they probably found? And you read the conclusion and say, oh, yeah, they found the same thing I thought they would. And they pointed out that, we were testing on bonobos, not chimps, so we can't apply this to all great apes or whatever. That'd be a great study. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, yes. So there, it, it, the important thing is to actually read the scientific articles when you can, because if you just read something that's either, even if it's on the New York Times or, heaven forfend, the HuffPo or Natural News, you know, you're looking at the source on those, but you might have to go one step further and f- understand what the actual science article is really saying. And then you can tell your friends on Facebook and stop crazy memes going around, like tinfoil hat covers for your iPhone or sea monsters on the beach exactly. or being a Chinese ghostbuster who can exercise you with his penis. Exactly. Well, that kind of wraps it up. Let's uh, let's learn what we learned, shall we? Yes. All right. Well, let me see here. We learned that refrigerator moms are not tiger moms. <laughs> we learned that memes are hard to kill, and we'll probably be, continue to be learning that in they future months. They are zombies. Uh, we learned that church does not equate to disease-free. In other words, Jesus I, I, Christ scientist, <laughs> not really a thing. I was thinking that was why we should not ignore religion when it comes to making skeptical analyses of things. We, you know, Sometimes religions make bad skeptical claims. We have to focus on that, too. Yes, skepticism can be applied across the board. Well, sometimes it's fun not to. We learned again that some people do not like vaccines at all. And they have annoying websites. Yeah. 
We also learned that differential equations are difficult. And some people like to claim they know how to use them, but really don't. So learn how to read a paper. Learn how to read a paper. Learn how to read. It's that, okay. That's it's, a good first step. Yeah. Yes. And it's, it's okay to follow along and, and move your lips while you're reading. Considering that we're an audio podcast, we have no idea if any of our listeners can actually read and write. Well, presumably yeah. they, can, they can because they would have to sign up for our podcast. And so they'd have to type in Skeptic Wire somewhere. They just look for the icon of the Telegraph thingy. They just click around until they find us by accident. Yeah, that's that's what I assume, that all our listeners just found us by accident. <laughs> just and they're just listening it. to us out of habit. <laughs> so, thank you for joining us this week. Thank you, Greg and Donna, for joining me on the podcast, and me for joining you. Yes. Yes. Yep. Bye! Yes. <laughs> Bye, yes! Bye. Oh, and the next week we'll know how Dangerous Nerds Productions did on the 48-hour film project. Yep. Announcements will be Friday. I might be going to New Orleans for it. Woohoo! I'm going to do something very unskeptical right now. Knock on wood. Or break a leg. That's that's. Please the... don't break my leg. I I I need my leg. The... <laughs> She's not an actress. But she's in the theater. The no. Theatrical arts. Okay, theatrical arts, yes. The theater, no. You have probably filmed something in a theater. I'm thinking of a certain punk rock and roll uh, evil Mockumentary, yeah. Yes, that was probably in a theater. So, booyah, as the kids say. <laughs> really, seriously, quit trying to be street. It doesn't work. You are yo, not... <laughs> yo, yo, Donna. Don't try to okay. flat me that way. Yo went out in 1993, okay? Word. Shit. Yeah, with Yo MTV raps. By the time that MTV picked it up, it was already on its way out. <laughs> when did they stop showing videos? <laughs> Doesn't make any difference. Not really. 1992. But that's when wow. they started Real World, that they still showed some videos. They probably had, like, Yo! MTV They showed raps five, and, and, and like, the, just the, the same five metal over again. show. They were all Michael Jackson and New Kids on the Block. It started slowly, like the, the frog in the water pot. You start with Real World and Beavis and Butthead, and, you know, nobody notices that you're losing a couple hours of music videos every night, and then it expands First and takes they over. came for the music videos, and exactly. I didn't say anything because I wasn't the music video. <laughs> Yes, yes, Gary, you understand their plight. <laughs> oh, yeah, and happy 50th anniversary of the March on Washington MLK I Have a Dream speech. And congratulations to all those who are out there speaking for the San Antonio Anti-Discrimination Ordinance tonight. Oh, cool. It's been going on all day. Hmm. They have solicited public response. All right. I think that does it. Okay. Nothing funny going to happen anymore. Not here. Ever? Ever. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
The Skeptic Wire podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the PodPosted app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. We're going to try a new segment. Uh, Donna, I think, will we'll we'll start, start us, us off. off. We're going to call it Whack-A-Meme. <laughs> do, 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 it's whacking, and it's kind of circus music, whack me. I'm pretty sure Gary can get us some better circus music. Fuck you all. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. My music you... is brilliant. Agrees. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was, I, was, I was still going through right now how I might make a... Uh... Anyway, yeah. <laughs> sure. Is it awkward? <laughs> No, not awkward at all. Awkward silence for the win. <laughs> hmm. I don't think Greg's going to be joining us for the rest of this broadcast. That's why we just stopped recording. Is he stopped recording? Define join you. <laughs> uh, Dark side has cookies. <laughs> hey, you had Oreo cookies here last time. <laughs> Had. Had. None for you, Punchy! <laughs> Punchy? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's in Pulp Fiction. Anyway, uh... <laughs> Shall we start over? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that we need to. I know, I know. Putin. Putin? Putin is Ant. the correct pronounce. Putin. Ant. <laughs> oh, right. I see what you're doing there. <laughs> but I'm bump. I'm saying Putin right, though, now. And you, I'm saying ant correctly, too. If no, you're not. If it's A-N-T. If you're talking about ant-man, you're awesome. If you're talking about rant, you've got it. But it's an aunt. The sister of your mother or your father is your aunt. aunt. <clears throat> no, it's okay, because he's from New Jersey, and when they, when they, when they have oh, breakfast, they have breakfast sausages. Are we remember, are we forgetting the whole Vallejo incident of last week? <laughs> yes, actually, I'm tr- still trying to forget Vallejo. All right.